Escargot. Salad. Would Monsieur care for another bottle of the Chateau Latour? Ah, uh, yes, but no more 1966. Let's splurge. Bring us some fresh wine. The freshest you've got this year. No more of this old stuff. Oui, monsieur. He doesn't realize he's dealing with sophisticated people here. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cheeseburger in Babylon. Uh, this episode's going to be a little different. Uh, if you if you like my dumb jokes, there aren't too many in, in this one. Uh, I'm actually doing a wine tasting. Uh, I will be trying Josh Wine with wine expert Thomas Morgan. He owns Sea Grape Wine Company, and he worked for Kermit Lynch for about 25 years, so... He's up there when it comes to wine knowledge, and I asked him to explain to me what Josh wine is as a food item and not as uh, an internet content. Uh, if you're tuning in for the first time, uh, welcome. Uh, the name is going to change, so um, it might be confusing, but uh, you'll figure it out. Yesterday, I put out an episode about Josh wine as an internet phenomena. And if you uh, aren't familiar, if you haven't heard about this, if you have a life uh, and you're not consumed with the internet, uh, you will have missed this bizarre internet moment that lasted for, pff, I don't know, 10 days. It's basically over now. I really am behind schedule here. But for about 10 days or so, these memes were coming out about Josh Wine out of nowhere. It didn't make any sense. All of a sudden, our, our social media feeds were filled with... Uh, in my opinion, not great jokes, making fun of Josh Wine simply for being called Josh in cursive. In yesterday's episode, I got to the bottom of why Josh Wine took over the internet, and it's actually a, kind of a, a positive thing. It happened organically. Josh Wine sellers did not pay some influencers online to pump their product. Instead, it... it was the, the, the wild internet flexing what's left of its atrophied muscles. Uh, it, it happened just because. And I think that that's actually a, a really positive thing. Uh, it shows that the internet is not conquered and that ad executives still don't quite understand how to capture lightning in a bottle. It's unclear if Josh Wine is going to reap the financial windfall or how long it will last uh, because of this internet moment it's had. But it does exist in basically every single store that sells alcohol. You can get Josh Wine at 7-Eleven. So when you uh, go to some potluck and, and you don't know what wine to choose and you pick the bottle that has a, a little bit of cursive, it seems like it's, it's decent. Um, on today's episode, we're going to talk about what it is you are consuming. And the conclusion that we come to is that you are consuming uh, what is basically a simulation of a wine. Uh, to call it wine, actual wine, is generous. So get ready to nerd out on some wine facts. And if you are in the Sarasota area, be sure to check out Sea Grape Wine Company. It's on the South Trail. And if you're not in the Sarasota area, support 
whatever's local, whatever's close to you, whatever you can interact with. And um, don't let the brands win. <laughs> hey, Jenny, hey, Wayne. I don't even like wine, but guess what? You're going to like it. I need some cheese. Steve, what kind of wine is that you're drinking? I can't see, hon. Sweet berry wine! <laughs> I'm supposed to spit it out. But no way, Jose, am I spitting this stuff out? It tastes like fruit. <laughs> wine was invented by the Romans for orgies. And orgies are not too much fun if no one wants to do with you. Mike, you want to check let's on Steve real quick? Wine. Tell him how it tastes, Steve. All right, let's do it. Steve? Steve, are you okay over there? And there's all kinds of other wines. Peanut Noir. They got all different kinds. And that's our zero. I'm Dr. Steve Rule for your wine. Uh, I'm here with Thomas Morgan of Sea Grape Wine Company. Thomas is a 25-year vet of the wine industry and was a rep for Kermit Lynch Wine Merchant. And he's here with me to try out some Josh wine. Uh, Thomas, what do you know about Josh wine? That you can buy it at a 7-Eleven. What does that mean, like if you can buy a wine at a 7-Eleven? Simply, it means that they make too much of it for it to be real. So... Like this is a, a, a part of a, a an era or a, a, a there's a whole industry of, of this kind of we called it factory wine. Factory wine yeah. What does that mean? So if you look at wine, you know, in a brief historical snapshot, it is simply fermented grapes with native or ambient yeast that ends up with a natural alcohol of nine to eleven percent, maybe. So in the modern era, with yeast that have been bred in labs and, and, you know, not genetically engineered or anything, you have now can get up to natural alcohols of 14, 15, all the way up to like 16 and 18% if you use different yeasts. The, the basic thing is that wine is a food that comes from farms that was a way of preserving fruit, right? Fruit rots, so it either rots into vinegar or it rots into really funky stuff that you don't want to eat with Britannomyces. Or if you get lucky, Saccharomyces hits it, and you get Saccharomyces meaning sweet yeast, um, and you end up with something that's drinkable. And they were, tried to figure out preservation of that because it oxidized. So you, Greek wine would have olive oil on the top of it or wax covering. Um, they were done in amphora and clay. But the modern wine industry is what we refer to as the drinks business. And so there's the wine world, and then there's the drinks business, and the drinks business is like 95% of what's available to every American. And it's post-prohibition. It's all done through a three-tiered system, which is a monopoly where I, as a retailer, have to buy from a distributor. I can't go to a winery and buy direct because it's alcohol. It's not food. It's a sin, not you know a part of your diet. And so there's all this kind of Calvinism or Protestantism and, you know, this, this temperance in it that is, you know, has made it into a kind of a legal drug deal. And Josh is just one example of factory wine that is saying, you know, we need a ubiquitously, you know, a ubiquitous product, a product that tastes the same to everybody every time, like McDonald's. Fast food is in part successful because it is always the same. Mm -hmm. And so when a wine is truly naturally made, 
the concept of terroir comes through because you have allowed it to show itself with the ambient yeast, with no manipulation of the grapes or the, or the must, the, the first initial ferment. And these guys, through legal methods and through 72-plus food ingredients that are legally allowed and not declared because it's not food, so it's not USDA-regulated, it just says it has alcohol, and it says pregnant women shouldn't drink it. And then that it contains sulfites, just in case you're anaphylactic. But you would know that because you'd eat a hot dog the first time when you were a kid, and you'd you know, have a full you know, event. But, uh, so yeah, these are, these are wines that are made with food chemistry to be same, 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 so that, that you can build the brand with a demographic. And as the demographic is, you know, questioned about what they like and don't like and their taste change for some reason or another you can adjust because you're not saying it's a farm wine with a sense of place terroir you're saying it's a brand and we're listening to you the buyer who do you think josh wine is for before this whole meme thing blew up who who was josh marketing to you think you know i would say that josh i mean i don't really know who owns this or what's like behind it but this tier of wine is all price point driven. So, you know, it's a company who has brands of wine, like Bronco Wine Company, which made the two buck chuck that was so famous at Trader Joe's, or Fred Franzia, Franzia Wines. These kinds of guys, they would make wines they were proud of back in the old days. And then they would, they had so much access to what we call bulk juice. So wine that was not needed by somebody or wasn't up to par for the brand of who owned the land and said, you know, I am Krug Winery or I'm Joseph Phelps and I will only put these things in the bottle. And then they had extra fruit. And so they had some Riesling that was planted in the 40s. So they'd sell it off. And it's like, what are we going to do with Riesling? It's not popular anymore. So we'll blend it in with Chardonnay and Pinot Grigio and we'll call it California White. Hmm. And we'll sell it for a price point. And so you panel test it with, with people. Your marketing team goes and pulls people in, and they sit, and they do these kind of tasting interviews and take all the feedback. Then they change the wines, and then they bring that group back, and then they say, what do you think of this? And then once they get a win, they formulate all of it into that with fake oak or added sugar or a little less sugar or a little bit of alcohol. Whatever they can do, polysaccharides to make mouth feel. I mean, fermentable concentrates like Mega Purple are ubiquitous. I can only assume it's in this red wine. What's Mega Purple? Mega Purple is a patented fermentable concentrate. What originally was supposedly a colorant, but because it is fermentable and because the law in California says a California wine just has to be 75% grapes from California, right? 25% of the grapes can come from anywhere else in the country. Mm -hmm. Well, the concentrate is made in the Central Valley from chemically farmed machine farmed grapes that have no sense of terroir can be harvested at any bricks level for the buyer so that the buyer knows exactly how much original sugar is there how much tannin is there you know and then they can say no stop harvest right there we'll manipulate it the rest of the way and then that became well why don't we just make a fermentable concentrate that has all these flavors that everybody likes and smells and color that everybody expects and then We'll sell it to all the wineries, and they can put up to, I think, what, like over 25%. Mm. But it's because it's not food, it's not transparent. There's no transparency in this because there's a buyer beware kind of you're addicted to alcohol, so 
good luck to you. You know, like Mad Dog 2020 kind of behavior, <laughs> which is really where this is. They're just, this is like, this is harsh, but this is like upscale Mad Dog, right? It's for the fixed income person yeah, who yeah. drank Gallo when they were younger in the jug. And then they're like, well, now it's in a 750 milliliter bottle and it's on the mid shelf, not the bottom shelf. And it says Josh on it. And this is, this is a step up. What did this cost? I would say uh, for the three bottles, uh, $40. A couple of them had like two, $3 sales on them. But the, this, the, the Chardonnay was about 15. The Cabernet was like 12. And this was, I think, 13 or something. The, the, the sparkling was like 13 or something. So the one interesting thing that I see as soon as you brought these in was I know that Josh was a red wine, a Cabernet. I yeah. knew that that was they available. And I figured they had a Chardonnay because if you have a Cabernet, you have a Chardonnay. They had a Pinot Grigio too that I didn't get because right. I thought because so I hate Chardonnay. Most and so Americans only know five grape types, right? Chardonnay, Pinot Grigio, Sauvignon Blanc and the whites. And then they know Cabernet Sauvignon, Pinot Noir, and then they know Merlot. So that would be your sixth grape that they know. But Merlot, since Sideways the movie came out 15 years ago. More than that. More than that. Has destroyed Merlot. If they want to drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. No, if anybody orders Merlot, I'm leaving. I am not drinking any fucking Merlot. Okay, okay, <laughs> relax, Miles. Nobody cares about Merlot. Although, all of the right bank in Bordeaux is Merlot-based, and most of the California Reds out of Napa and Sonoma that get big reviews and have big price tags, 50 to 150, they have a massive amount of Merlot in them because Merlot is delicious. And it is what makes fruitiness in wine that people love. But the movie told people Merlot was, yeah, was skanky. So, they, so people stopped drinking it. But the first thing that I noticed is that the third bottle here is a DOC, not DOCG, Prosecco. So this is classic branded you know, conglomerate wine stuff. This is not winemaking. This is not chateau. This is not estate. This is not small farm. The reason, you know, you, can, you know it's big because of where it's sold, but you also really know it's big when all of a sudden they have an Italian DOC Appalachian wine from a category that is painfully beat up, right? So Prosecco DOCG Conegliano de Valdobbiadene is one hill in that area yeah. that really makes the real wines and has some single crews within it that are special. Prosecco DOC, that's DOCG, right? The DOC was made later when Prosecco started to get popular as this affordable sparkling wine. And they were like, well, wait, let's expand the area where you can call it Prosecco DOC. And that expansion of the rules and the area is a, is a, is a kind of a, it's a dilution of the, the brand of that, those people who live on those hills and have lived on those hills for years and made a gorgeous product. So we know a woman named Cinzia Somariva, and her wine is DOCG, Conegliano, Duvaldo Biadene, Prosecco Superiore. All the accolades you can get for that wine. And they grow 100% Glera, which is the grape. And then you see this, which is, first of all, pink Prosecco is a whole new invention. It's yeah. like in the past five, six, ten years. Five years, for sure. And DOC, it's like... If you have any respect for yourself, you do not buy DOC Prosecco because all the ones you can buy in Target, Costco, Publix, 7-Eleven are DOC. Because anything DOCG has to follow the rules of the estate and you can't get it at this price point. So um, when, a, when a, and a California company all of a sudden has an Italian wine, that's bullshit.
that means they are just feeding the pipeline. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we saw, to be fair, Italians do that as well. So there's guys from Italy, from Piedmont, who make a Barolo, let's say. Then they, because of the need for cash flow, and because it is hard to make money in wine, um, you, even if you're reasonably famous, you need cash flow. So it's like, well, let's create a Prosecco brand. So they go and buy Prosecco from somebody else. They are, become anonymous. They own the juice. So they make their own label. They say what it is. And they can say it's DOC because it is from within the DOC. But the DOC is huge. So they buy d often what we call distressed juice, meaning it had no home. It, has, it doesn't taste well enough for someone to be proud of it. And so it goes into a negociant's hands, a broker, a hustler. And that guy says, hey, I've got gallonage. Uh, and so some American company or some other negotiant or some conglomerate like Constellation or Treasury, they say, oh, we need a thousand gallons of Prosecco DSC for Josh, for whatever. So there are these guys brokering this distressed juice. And I would say on the other side, the natural wine movement is sort of like the total opposite where it's like anything small has validity, right? So, so one guy from Brooklyn American kid decides he's got enough of a connection in Italy and really loves Italy and he goes over and finds this little tiny plot and makes this little bit of wine and doesn't know what he's doing and it ferments naturally, meaning ambient yeast, and it comes out kind of funky and crazy and has some acetobacter and has some Britannomyces, and, but he's able to sell it because it has a really cool art label on it. Mm -hmm. And he, you know, he finds an artist friend who puts a label on it and it's fuzzy, meaning it's, it's not filtered, it's got some sediment, and it smells a little bit wild. And the younger generation has been trained that that's real. And so we, we sit in the middle, and we'll always sit in the middle, where we are classicists. The wine has to be good, first and foremost. And then if it is expensive, it has to have true provenance. It has to have an origin. Not an origin story like this, or like most things, a marketing story, it has to actually originate from a finite piece of land and a made in a finite amount. And that's what we care about. Have you ever had Josh wine before? No, no, I have never had it. What do you expect? I expect it to taste like its additives. Um, so we can start with the, the, the DOC Prosecco because, you know, it's going to be, it, it's an oddity. You know, if we're going to try to give them a fair shake, we'll get this little, you know, cash grab out of the way. Pinot Grigio is called Gris, Grigio, gray, because it does get a little bit of a purple pink skin when it's fully ripe. And so if you put, leave it on its skin for three hours to 36 hours, it, yeah. will, it will get pinky. Um, so pouring you a little, pouring myself a little, that residual good wine I had in there won't hurt anything, might help it. And some for Fred. And... So we use this word, and I, I, it sounds funny, but it's, it's honest. It's inoffensive, right? It's just inoffensive. So you sure as hell don't want to invite people over to your house, make a meal for six hours, like braise something, you know, make five dishes, sit down with a bunch of friends, and have somebody say, oh, this is inoffensive. That's really nice. <laughs> you know, thanks for having us over. But it's as nice as you can be. The wine just smells like Fruit, yeah. alcohol, CO2, because this is a sparkling. But nothing lifted, nothing exciting. Um, and, no backbone. And no, and no background. So yeah. like when you, the, the initial primary. approach of the nose 
is all it is. If you keep sniffing, which we do endlessly, it just continues to get more and more hollow, right? There's less and less there there. Um, like already, I'm, it's, I'm losing it. I'm just getting reddish fruit smell. A lot of residual sugar. So you can feel how long it hangs, which fruit taste, but at the very end, you're like, wow, it won't go away. It's sweet. Right? There's no cut. So even though there is acidity here, the acidity is not enough to, not enough to cut the sweet. So we could drink an actual dessert wine with like, what, 150 grams per liter of sugar in it, a super saturated naturally made wine, super saturated solution of sugar, but because the acidity is so strong, yeah. it cuts through and the wine is balanced. This wine is completely off balance, but not offensive to people who are used to drinking this caliber of wine. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a guy that could buy any wine he wants that still likes to argue with me, come in and say, Costco Pinot Grigio, Kirkland Pinot Grigio is as good as you need it to be. And I'm like, no, you mean you have found it to be as good as you need it to be. And he said, yeah, it's cheap, it's good. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not why I drink wine. I don't, I don't eat food because it's cheap. I eat food because it was made by someone with a process, farmed by someone with a process, and, and, and is delicious. I've, I've fought to get my parents to drink good coffee. Yeah. But they still insist on drinking peats, yep. like or dark Arabic roast, where yeah, it's yeah. Just, and, I, and it, it's okay if you put a bunch of creamer in it, you know, it just tastes right. like ice cream, but getting them to taste good coffee, like they refuse. Those kind of nuances with coffee, those kind of nuances with foods in general, like people say, oh, I love ham. Well, does that mean you love prosciutto di Parma? Or do you like some jamon from a specific part of Spain? Um, you know, and a lot of people don't even know the difference. It's like a cured meat mm -hmm. is a cured meat. And, you know, Boar's Head has, has done a great job of taking over. Um, just like brands like Josh or Gallo or whatever have done a great job of showing you choice and making it look like you're buying not only, you know, uh, horizontal choice like different grape types and different brands, but also then vertical price of different or diff, uh, vertical choice of different price points. And, but they own it all and they make it all in the same way. It's just they tweak it around a little bit to fit what the demographic is feeding back through apps like Vivino and saying, we like buttery Chardonnay. We like, you know, rich Char uh, Cabernet. The marketing kind of reminds me of um, the dude. Have you seen dude wipes? It's uh, oh, yeah, I know what they are. I know what yeah, they like are. The, the, the masculine baby wipes. Yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's like everything is, that's old is new again as long as you like market it to, in the right way. And um, so, yeah. I mean, there's nothing to say about this wine other than this is a cash grab for somebody who already has the, the distribution channel. They've already got the outlets in every state that matters, in every chain store that matters. And so now they just need to fill the pipeline. So th this is what I refer to as anonymous juice. And because there's no farmer here, there's, we will never know the farmers who made this. And most of them aren't really proud of that. They probably grow chemical plots to sell stuff for cash flow and then they keep one two hectares or acres around their house that their grandfather planted and they make one barrel of wine a year that they don't sell because that's the real wine in their life mm -hmm. but the only way they can survive and keep that house and that one barrel of wine each year is by selling some bulked out 
you know, pumped up, heavy sugared grapes. So on a scale from uh, one to f- or zero to five, what's this? I mean, it's it's like a point five. It's it it is wine. Inoffensive. Yeah, it's <laughs> inoffensive. Yeah, I mean, point five, one. Yeah, everything's a hundred point scale. So yeah, hundred point scale. This is like a like a. 68 68 65 65 like which you know in a hundred point scale even the uneducated and uninitiated knows you don't buy a wine that has less than 80 points like it's really we always said it's a 20 point 100 point scale we're moving on to the josh chardonnay okay and let's let's just look really really small on there really small you find vintage 2022 and that is one thing i wanted to point out is that most French winemakers, Italian winemakers, who own chateaus and have been doing the thing, usually multi-generationally, will often question, why do American wines have a vintage on them at all? And I, and I remember initially hearing this question, I thought, well, because they come from one year, just like your wines, it's all from the same year. And they said, yes, but vintage is about year in place, not just year. Right. We don't say that the vintage in Italy, in Piedmont, let's say, is the same as the vintage in Rioja in Spain. They're they're totally different microclimates. They had totally different weather. So in the DOC system, in the AOC system, in the Appalachian system in Europe in general, if you are in one Appalachian and you buy any amount of grapes or farm any amount of grapes and blend them in with that you cross out of your AOC and blend any amount in, you lose your appellation. You can't be called Nuit Saint-Georges if you take some Pinot Noir from down in Beaujolais and blend it in. Yeah. It's called Vin de France. And back in the day, you used to, they changed it now for whatever political reasons, I think, because there was some pressure from bigger negotiants. But you used to also lose the vintage because... If you are blending two different microclimates, why are you declaring it as a vintage wine? Because the weather there and the weather there are not the same. The terroir there and the terroir here are not the same. Mm -hmm. So these wines, because they have manipulations, because they have concentrates, because they have multiple sources within California and outside of California, should not have vintage on them by the old world classic standards. And so I always find it kind of funny because like if somebody says I like Josh Chardonnay, you don't say, oh, Oh my God, the 2019, well, that one was the one. I have so much in my cellar. I'm waiting to see how it develops. No, vintage does not matter at all anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still put it on because it, it has a uh, kind of a touch of class, if you will. It's like, well, yeah, this is a vintage wine. It's like, well, what, what does that mean to you? Well, it means it came from that year. And it's like, well, 2017 was a vintage and there were fires all over California. And if you drink any California wine from 17, you either taste smoke taint or you taste the manipulation to get rid of smoke taint. And I'm not a chemist and I don't make wine, but after 25 years in the business, it's like you can taste that something has been done to the wine. Um, It's tough to know exactly what because there's no truth in labeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we just just spun off that screw cap there and uh, this wine smells like nothing. Yeah, enough of it. It doesn't even smell like Chardonnay. It looks candy. It smells a little bit like a like a, a hard candy, like a, you know how the hard candies that you had at your grandmother's, they're all different colors, but they all basically tasted like pear, <laughs> yeah. you know, or they all kind of tasted like candy. 
Um, that's that's kind of how this smells. I mean, Chardonnay does have quite a smell. A lot of what you get out of Chardonnays from California is typically the oak component and the malolactic fermentation component, that, that creaminess or butteriness. And that those two things, oak and butter, have taken off so much in people's minds that they now have a Chardonnay called butter. And people will ask water, me for it sometimes, water, and I'm just like, you can get one. that wherever. Yeah, there's like a line. Butter, nut, butter, cream, butter. Yeah. And years ago, when you and I worked together years ago, there was a wine that came out that was called Jam Jar, because the word jammy would be used for big red wines. People were like, yeah, like a jammy Zinfandel. It's like, okay, cool, jammy Zinfandel it is. And then you start seeing on the shelves, Jam Jar, because they just take the word that people resonates with them as a taste profile and say, look, it's in the name. It means it's in the bottle. But it's all nonsense, because you don't actually if you look at it as a food product, which most people do not, none of these descriptors matter. That's conversation over the dinner table. It's just, it's just uh, texture in the subjectivity. It's like us having a, a discussion about our own personal taste. Mm -hmm. And you may say, oh man, I really like this weird note of like rhubarb I get in this wine. And I can say, oh, I get it, but I hate rhubarb, so I don't like this wine. But that's us nerding out with specific foods that we remember in our life because we like food, mm -hmm. you know? Or cheeses, you know, there's like really funky cheeses that if you don't, if you're not experienced with cheese, you can get some of those like things like a poisse that are really ripe, that have been sitting out on the counter and have been evolving and melting down. And it smells like toe jam. It literally smells like a bacteria under your toes. And it's like, some people cannot eat that. I had a lot of fun recently. Uh, a friend of ours gave, gave me um, a durian. It is so weird and so much fun. Some of my friends I'm were actually vomiting. Yeah, yeah. And but I, when I would eat it, it would just evolve in your mouth. It, it was, you couldn't pinpoint what it tasted like because it was it was con it was like kaleidoscopic. It just kept moving in your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a psychedelic umame movement. Yeah, yeah. yeah. These guys joke with me because I have recently kind of discovered that I, I am sensitive to a certain flaw in wine that is a reduction. Um, so it's kind of a funk smell, but it is specifically the smell of onion at best and rotten onion at worst, which if you've smelled rotten onion in the drawer, it's real bad. It's not as bad as rotten egg per se or rotten tofu because it's not a protein. But it's, but it's bad. And mercaptans are what they're called in general. There's a, like a, it's a category of, of flaw. And so Fred the other day was describing a wine and he's just like, yeah, it had that kind of oniony thing. And I was like, yeah, mercaptans. You know, it's, it, it's, this, it's this thing. And supposedly durian has a heavy mercaptan and that's why people are repulsed by it is that it has a kind of rotten onion smell. Mm -hmm. But you can attest to this. I would think that once you get it past your nose, it's a different thing. All right, let's see how this thing tastes. So it's starting to smell more like Chardonnay, but again, it's just, I think the chemistry's coming together with the air. This wine, again, is just hollow. It finishes so quickly. It doesn't hang in any positive way. The only thing that does really hang is that feeling of sugar, that feeling of mm -hmm. sweet, that little cloying. And here, they seem to have a little better balance, but again, they've tested it with people over and over and over again. So there is no vintage character in this wine. It is always the same, like a Big Mac, because you don't fuck with a Big Mac. You know, you sell a billion of them, you don't mess around. You don't change the salt level, you don't change the fattiness, you know. And it's not that other wines don't taste like this. I mean, there are wines that people will present to us occasionally, usually salespeople who are young or they don't know us that well. And so they'll say, hey, I have these wines. And what it means is their boss 
and their boss's boss said, sell these wines. And they're, you know, there's spiffs on it, there's bonuses on it, and there's mm -hmm. depletion allowances, all these things. Um, but sometimes people will show us a, a Chardonnay kind of in this category, and, and they all basically taste the same. It's just sort of a, you know, I really just have nothing to say about it. Right, I, I don't. I don't know what. I don't know how to even talk about this. Yeah, I mean, other than the fact that it's, um, yeah, yeah. This is, and I can only imagine that if you, you know, if you had like, I can drink a bottle of naturally made. I say naturally made, not natural wine per se, by the loose definition of this current moment. Um, but like wine fermented with its native yeast, no manipulation, truly dry, zero to one gram left in the bottle. Um, I can drink an entire bottle of that over an evening with food and wake up feeling a little bit thirsty, but not hungover, not mm -hmm. bomb, not headachy. I'm sure if you drink half that bottle and you don't eat something and you don't drink a bunch of water and take an Advil, you're gonna, you're gonna feel like shit. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Cause there's also all this residual stuff that happens after the manipulations, which again, as, as a non-chemist, I can't say exactly what it, it is, but I have been told by people more in the know that there are compounds, including aldehydes, that will form with the alcohol and the residuals of the additives, because the additives are usually all added in powders, which means they're added in powders in water. They're then, you know, mixed up and titrated in. And those things are basically form salts and precipitates and aldehydes and other things in the wine. And that is one thing I've noticed with uh, when I when I drink good wine, I don't have this, I don't feel like shit the next day. And so it's almost like, yeah, you might have to pay a little bit more money, but it's worth it the following day if you want to get a little drunk. So yeah, this wine tastes like nothing. And so headache yeah, what, what headache in a bottle, uh, what would you, out of a hundred, when you give it? So I would say that again, we're just like in this sort of like middle of the road, it's acceptable. And I guess we can call it wine. Uh, although if they told us really what they did to it, we could probably argue that it's not wine per the natural definition. Um, and then I would say that, you know, if you added a can of like LaCroix or Polar Berry sparkling to it and a <laughs> bunch of ice, you could drink it at a like a, a tubing down a river uh, or maybe like a catfish wrangle you know like rodeo i don't know like something this like one, that yeah, at least tastes like wine as you said it does taste more like wine the yeah. other one is is true true yeah, garbage i, I would um, give like 83 84. that's generous I'm, because I'm, at least it's wine is that yeah. a wine that's under 80 is yeah to be, well. it's a 78. okay all right so we're gonna move on to this cab here and what are the first things you noticed about this cab uh, I mean, that they that it's a marketing package. It's you know, it's the label is a higher end look. It's the yeah. right shape. It's got this script of the name Josh, which is very funny. Um, yeah. To name Bottle has the right it's like, weight. It's and like naming your like cat Dave. Bottle. You know, it, it's uh, it's it's just kind of funny, and it has that high-shouldered bottle that looks like Napa Cabernet that's more expensive. Um, but this is Josh Sellers Cabernet Sauvignon, no appellation. Not, not even doesn't even say California on it, hmm. right? So on the front anyway. So it's if it is not California appellated, this probably has no rule. So it just, says blended and bottled by Joseph Carr Hopland, California, but bottled. blended and bottled. Yeah. So it, nowhere on here. No, at the very, very back, very tiny. It says 2021 Cabernet Sauvignon, California. 
which means it probably has to follow the rules of 75% California. But I would guess, even without smelling it yet, I would guess this wine has 15 to 25% uh, mega purple. And you also said, uh, you know, the, the cork was a, a, a compound or fake cork? Yeah, so, it's a, so they have a screw cap on the, sh on the Chardonnay, which Stelvin is sensible. It's more uh, environmentally sensible. It's more affordable. They make more money on it because you're not buying a, you know, a real cork these days. A good one that is guaranteed not to have TCA or, or to dry out too early is one to three euros, um, which is like, you know, Two to and also for fresh wine. That yeah, for wine that's not going to be aged, yeah, it, exactly. screw caps are fine. But they probably, again, market tested this and said, well, people like to pull a cork. And there's a romance to cork. So they said, well, okay, well, we'll do a cork. But what they're doing is a conglomerate cork. So this is, it looks like particle board. And that means it's held together with glue. And most glues and adhesives are reductive. And so they cause reduction in the wine. Um, but they probably bottle this under... Uh, under nitrogen or maybe a little CO2 just to like yeah. keep it from uh, yeah who knows who knows but it's a ch it's a super cheap cork um, there is a there's a brand that's called Diem that is the respected conglomerate cork or um, and this and usually they have a cap of real cork on the top and the bottom and then in the middle they've got this conglomerate so like Diems have a a, a little uh, ring or a, a disc of real cork at the top and the bottom um, and that's part of their trademark is you know you, in contact with the air and in contact with the wine is real cork um, may not make any difference here or there but um, they I would say that there the accounting department wants them to put this under screw cap and the marketing department says no no, no we need some form of cork mm. they've got to be able to put a corkscrew in it because that's the romance um, it's inoffensive again it's like it's it's I guess it's reasonably correct for red wine of California. Yeah. I couldn't say it's cab per se. Very uh, sweet tannin instead of dry tannin. You know, there's none of that, you know, like tannin. We drink wine in, in America as cocktails. Like we, we just drink in general without food. You know how you go to Spain, you go to a bar, you sit down, you order a glass of wine and some almonds show up or some a little piece of bread shows up. Or if you're in cool parts of Spain, like a little piece of shrimp on a toast shows up. And that's just, there it is, five euros for the glass of wine and that. Because of course you need a bite of food, you're having a drink. But we drink to drink. And so um, tannin in particular, which is you know, a form of acidity that, need, that comes in the skin and the stems and all that, and the pips, has to be mitigated because it's too drying, it's too bitter and um, by itself. But the way that you traditionally mitigate that is you either air the wine out through a decanter if it's young and tannic, and or you have protein and fat. You know, tannin is mitigated by, you know, you want that. If you have a really fatty, salty meal, you need something that's got some tannin so that it kind of like all fits together. But these, these, wines, are, um, these wines are really engineered to be grabbed at a 7-Eleven, have the cork pulled out or the screw cap open, and to be consumed immediately. We, we consume wine. I think it's even under 24 hours now. It used to be like the, the uh, Nielsen numbers said that, you know, Americans buy wine and consume it within 24 hours of purchase. You know, that goes against all the romance of how wine is sold and talked about. Because it's all like, I have a cellar. I've got a little unit under my cabinet. I keep wine in the house. 
it's like, well, what are you, what are you doing? You, you know, you're not really keeping it to age it. You're, it's not going to change. These wines are static. This mm-hmm. wine will taste the same for probably 10 years. Yeah. And then it'll just have a collapse at some point. Would you say this is like a, it sounds like this is so heavily processed. It's like a simulation of a wine. That it, to call it a wine itself is a stretch? Yeah, I really, I mean, I call these like, yeah. I mean, I just call them factory wines, but I, I think that the fast food analogy is really good, right? If you're a foodie, and even if you're not a foodie, we still call fast food fast food. If it comes from, if it, if it is prepared in three to five minutes and you can pull up through a drive through window and get it, we call it fast food for a reason. It's because it is guaranteed to be that same thing mm-hmm. and it is going to, it's going to give you what you expect. And wine, like going to the farmer's market or being part of a CSA, a community-supported agriculture, like you get your box each week, you do not expect ubiquity. You don't expect to get eggplant every week for 20 weeks of the season. You expect to get an eggplant when eggplant is ripe, and you expect to get bok choy when bok choy is ripe. And you, know, you, just, and you support the farmer by taking what they have. And sometimes if they have a failure of some of the things that you expect or you really want, they will throw in some sunflowers or they'll throw in herbs or they'll they'll you know they'll give you extra tomatoes or jalapenos because it's like look this is what we've got thank you for the support Mm -hmm. and i'm a big believer in that i went to the ag school at uf and i was a big fan of uh, bill mollison's permaculture design manual back in the early 90s and read through the whole thing and i just feel like our connection to food and its production the loss of that connection is part of this kind of like kind of chaos and confusion of our culture right now. It's like people are just kind of like everyone's thinking that they either need to or want to reinvent how life is lived from start to finish. And it's like, well, or you could just look at it as we're all animals and you got to eat three times a day and food comes from the ground still, no matter how you cut it. And so why don't you just like dive into that? Mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of exploration. There are people who stay on their small plots of land there's a guy here in florida that goes back and forth between here and maine and he permacultures the front yard yeah i know that guy yeah Yeah, i've never met him but i follow him and and i love when he you see pictures of his house in the fallow winter stage Mm -hmm. or in the summer stage where it's like he leaves he leaves a sweet potato right it's 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 all cooked in the sun it's like the the vines are kind of overgrown and then die and then he comes home and he rakes them all out of Mm -hmm. the soil adds compost and starts again he's an amazing dude that's yeah. not even an acre, right? He, he has a corner house. I think it's just the front yard of uh, a house uh, a little bit further north of here. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's a bummer because I'm trying to find ways of comparing wine to the way we consume media as well because this is about yeah. how that, this, this, this Josh Wine meme occurred. Yeah. And there, in a way, there are – I am a part of uh, a, a small group of people who are creating like or, organic, real content mm-hmm. online. And then you have the big ones who are just pushing out these uh, massive campaigns of like thoughtless nonsense. And it's the scrolling, the doom scrolling, you've heard that term before. And the way that we consume content is we're not careful with it. We don't take time to look at something and figure it out and feel it the same way I guess we would consume this kind of wine where it's just a way to pass the time. And that's why when I make stuff, I try to make it really confusing. So people have to like look at it and examine it and be like, is this real? What does he mean by it? Yeah. Instead of just like a quick joke that's easy and then you move on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in general we keep it to the simple line of there is the drinks business and there is the wine business and we are in the wine business. And we're proudly in the wine business 
in part because we know that what we do is essential to keeping small farmers and producers of wine alive. I'm not saying we as one store are saving all these farmers, but we as one of thousands of small wine shops around the country are all doing in different styles with different inventories with different price points and models and different kind of personalities. But we are basically doing all the same thing, which is keeping that idea of wine as a farm product in the fore and not shaming people if they don't care about it, but not letting them change our methodologies and our discourse because they refuse to see it that way. Mm-hmm. They, we, this is a free speech zone in here. Like you can tell us that you do not agree with mm-hmm. our judgment on these wines or our evaluation of these wines, but we're not going to change our inventory because five, six, seven customers come in and say, what do you mean you don't have 19 crimes with Snoop Dogg on it? And it's like, well, why do you need to get that from me? But it's interesting. Some people want to shop at a wine shop because they know it's the right thing to do, but they don't want to invest any intellectual time to figure out, what do I actually like in wine? Mm-hmm. What, why am I going to this wine shop? And it's like, no, they just want the wine shop to have their Marlboro lights. You know, it's like, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. it's their pattern to something. It's like you go to Alpine Steakhouse and you're like, I want a Whopper. And it's like, this is a Burger King. It's like, yeah, but that's what I like. I was like, then fucking go down there. <laughs> so out of 100, what do you give this uh, Josh Cabernet? This is actually a little better, but again, I know it's because it's formulated carefully. So this, you can drink it and say, I don't really drink a lot of California wine. I don't like a wine that has this much residual sugar or this much fruitiness and, and uh, high alcohol. But if I'm at a party and it's Josh Red, this cab, and then there's like, you know, some like pseudo craft beer, you know, one of those like higher gravity IPAs from somebody like Goose Island or something. And those are your two choices. It's like, well, I'll just drink Josh wine. You know, no problem. <laughs> I would say I would drink like a, a like a Bud Light rather than drink a, a Josh. Yeah, we're 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 big uh, supporters of, sh- of shitty beer um, yeah. at, at Cheeseburger well, in Babylon. Sh- well, and it also takes a lot of shitty beer to make wine. I mean, the Australians will tell you this the minute you yeah, walk in. At least in. the beer has a lot of water, so yeah. at least yeah, it's healthy. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. The the other thing too, there are a lot of these things that you know are just not transparent and therefore are not easy to find out about how wine is made when there are not the old world Appalachian rules. Um, and a lot of people say, well, I don't know how to buy European wine because it just tells me where it's from. It doesn't tell me what is in it or what it tastes like. And the fact is that that's, that's the, you know, the cart before the horse or the horse properly you know, in front of the cart where it, they're telling you where and then, and then they're telling you who. And those are the two most important things to the wine. What it tastes like is vintage variable and is based on what happened that year. So it, it does take a little bit of intellectual uh, effort, um, which, I mean, you, you are more in touch with, like, really what is happening in this zeitgeist moment than I am, um, even though I've got teenagers in the house, and so I kind of, like, try to keep up. But it is not popular to deep dive into anything. It's, like, it's, it seems to be more popular to know a little something about everything and be on point more than be deep. Mm-hmm. And we're just going to stay here in our corner and nerd out. 
Yeah, I think it's um, it's being sincere and caring deeply about something is looked down upon. And I think that uh, we live in uh, already like a pretty anti-intellectual country. And I get it, too, because fucking intellectuals, academics can be annoying as hell about this kind of stuff. And I can see how people get alienated from wine when the wrong kind of person talks to them about it. Yeah. You know, there, there are the, the pedantic ones and the people who just make it feel inaccessible. Um, and I guess my question then would be, um, what is the value? I mean, like. Let's say someone just wants to get fucked up and they just want to get drunk and it, it does this do the job or it's like, well, if you just want to get drunk, you can do it for half the price for more or less the same quality. I mean, I would say that really if you're just sort of a, a social binge drinker and you want, you know, the best bang for your buck, I still think that wine is typically more digestible. I mean, because beer, I mean, after a while, you got to drink a ton of it, right? And it's just a lot of liquid. It's a lot of carbohydrates. Um, so here you've got higher alcohol, lower volume of, of liquid. And so you can have drink literally less volume and have more alcohol in that. And that's why people, as you get, if you stay on that track where alcohol is the goal, where the buzz is the goal, you end up drinking totally clear spirits. Right? Usually also, vodka. Also, That's where you go. It's not about the price only because we can find real wine, well-made wine at this price. Yeah, so you say this was about 16 bucks? Yeah, I'd say the, uh, the, the Chardonnay was 14 or 13 The Cab was 12 but it was $2 off. So I'd say like they seem to hover around between like 12 and $15 per bottle. Yeah. So I've got a $15 bottle that's blended by a guy named Jeff Carell. It's a, it is admittedly a blended wine from grapes that he buys from different growers in the south of France. He's it France, is multiple grape types. There's Merlot in it, there's some Cab, there's some Grenache, there's Alicante Boucher, there's whatever he can find. But he knows the growers. He is a selective negociant and buyer. So he goes and buys either grapes and presses them or pressed juice, but not distressed. It's just not famous. It's just not a popular thing. So he goes to these guys and says, hey, I'll buy that from you and I'll put half the money up front to keep you afloat. And when, when it's all ready, I'll give you the other half. And that's necessary for a lot of people. And he then takes it, and then he blends in a small way. You know, you blend it at a blending station, and you make these glasses of wine. You taste, and you take notes, and you taste with friends who you respect, who are usually in the industry, or employees. And then you guys will hit on one where you're like, whoa, blend number six is really popping. It's just everything's fun. It's, it's pleasant on the nose. It's got all this stuff. And then if there's agreement, because there's low risk and it's low dollar, you just, you know, it kind of, you have a little bit of a group think, everybody agrees and you bottle it as that. You blend it in those proportions and then you sell it out and put a label on. So it's called Bistrology. It's got a little chair on it. Can we try it? Yeah, we could try it right now. So this, and this actually has a composite cork in it too, but you see it's longer, it's tighter, it's shinier, meaning that it's been carefully finished so that it doesn't take on wine or air but yeah, I'm always saying to people, drink less and drink better, you know, because it, all of us need to drink less. I mean, look, <laughs> yeah. there's no reason to go like down a road of saying like, you know what I need to do more of is drink like heavy. You know, you don't you just don't need to do that. Um, and really what we all need to do, especially if you want to stay in that kind of like social world you don't want to go full no alcohol unless you really feel like that's where you want to be in your life or that's you've got a real problem or, you know, health problem. Um, so it's just like 
well, drink less often and just drink better. I think it's the same way with food. It's you can't afford to go out to eat every night. You know, it'll kill your budget. But if once a month or twice a month you save up that piece of your budget and say, no, I'm going to go to the the most highly rated happening chef driven restaurant and I'm going to experience it. Mm-hmm. And then usually if you're into cooking at home, you usually taste those things and you're like, damn, that was fun. But I can do a lot of that at home and I'm going to just do my thing. Not to, I mean, there are chefs that will listen to this and be like, shut your mouth. We need the <laughs> yeah. business. Um, but yeah, smelling this, the first thing I know, it, it just has a less chemically kind of feel to it than the, well, the, the, the cat. has a little bit of like funk and it's not all on fruit. So that's the thing about California high production wines in particular, but California in general, is it's all about the fruit. But wine, fruit is one piece of an aroma or a set of a bouquet, right? And there are vegetal elements, there are animal elements, there's savory things, there's umame, there's iodine smells or like seaweed smells, there's saltiness. Um, and all of those nuances, because people will often pick them out and say, that's not what I expect, that's not what I expect. The big brands say, well, we don't wanna give them any questions. We don't wanna have them question anything. We just wanna have them get there. I mean, it's it's sad, but it's it's very much the, yeah, it's the, yeah. the drug model. Yeah. It has acid and it also, it finishes. Mm-hmm. It's gone, yeah, right? It's you good. have a moment with it and then you taste like your mouth is clean or clear. Whereas all of these leave you with a lot of them. They stain your palate with this, mainly it's sugar. That's what's Well, I noticed every time Fred would do it, he would make a, a big stink face afterwards. Cause, and I felt that lingering too. Like it, it, was, it was like, it, uh, it's like tightening your tongue. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's not fun to drink. Right. It, and really that is one of the, the things, if you look at anybody's evaluation of what makes a great wine, obviously you want beautiful smells. I always want a wine to smell good. If it doesn't Absolutely. smell good, it isn't exciting. Then you do want it to taste good, but in good, you want it to be balanced. You want it to have a start, a middle, and end. You want it to kind of like tell you something and then go away so that another food or another taste can take its place and so that throughout an evening you can continue to have experience. You get a ubiquitous kind of like powerhouse like this, which has been engineered to be the winner, which is how all these wines are manipulated into being the winner. It's the only one. And that's ridiculous. It's like the idea of winning the wine game. It's like, what the, you're gonna win dinner tonight? You know, oh, my dish at the potluck, it was the winner. It's like, that's not why you can have a potluck. But I know a lot of people who are like that. Oh, thank yeah. You. That's why these wines are popular because people still want to win. They wanna do it right. They wanna be the ones who are, people come up to them and say, where did you get this wine? What is this? But. I got it from the 7-Eleven. Yeah, you can't do it with this. You just can't. Yeah, and you can write to this guy, Jeff, and ask him questions about, like, the wine. I mean, he's a real person. Um, he should just call Jeff. Yeah. Maybe he would win. Try, try to call Josh. Yeah, try to call Josh. See what, see what happens. So, yeah, so I have these kind of, like, one-liners that, like, drink, drink less and drink better. And then the hashtag that I'm always putting on things is drink better wine. It's like, just do it. Like, drink better coffee. And when I was looking at that, and that hashtag existed at the time I first used it, I think there was like 90 you know, uses of it. And 
I don't really understand how you know you market yourself on on these platforms but i just continue to use it because i know that repetition is something that matters but when i first looked it up i was drink better and there's all kinds of stuff you know it's like drink better this eat better this and i was like yeah this is this is i'm not the creator of this idea it's just that those of us who have enough confidence to stand up to the kind of the the popular idea or the the easy, like these are pop wines, mm-hmm. right? This is, this is pop. This is, and not meaning pop culture, but also meaning like soda. It's like, it's just, it's just stuff to drink. And for people who want to say like it's elitist or, um, it's like I, they, people make the excuse. Like I had to go to uh, fast food, get fast food for my family because I didn't have the time. And that is true mm-hmm. in food yeah. deserts and stuff like that. But I can just tell drinking this that I will, it's not going to hurt tomorrow. I have a $13 wine that I like even better than this. That is Demeter certified biodynamic single estate wine. So that's not, I mean, this is a blend. So this makes sense that it's only 15 bucks. But there is this estate in Ribera del Duero that is so old that they don't need to make every wine their famous wine. So they're young vines. At, that produce less, in, you know, high integrity kind of grapes, less terroir grapes, lower kind of sense of place. They just admit that and say, well, yeah, but it's still grown organically, biodynamically, and it is all from us. So, and that's $13. But people don't know that about this shop. They can't know it from outside. Mm-hmm. And I just really am not interested in, in pumping ourselves up to everybody because it, at the end of the day, if I really marketed the shit out of this place and said, this is the where you've got to buy wine, we would have so many fixed income, high fixed income, older people who would just come in and just wouldn't get it. They'd say, wait, everybody told me to come here and I come here and I don't see my, you know, Camus and my toasted head Chardonnay decoy. and my decoy and my Miomi and, you know, all these things that they've been de-educated down into. Um, and, I, and that is a fact that I was in this market, the shop that you worked in from 2001 to 2008, that shop was hugely popular, really fun, nerdy, not snobby, good music playing, tons of choice, tons of price range choice, and also grape and, and country choice. And we, I left that in 2008. It closed due to the kind of downturn in the, in the greater economy maybe a year, year and a half later. And then I was out of the business for 10 years in retail. I was still in the wine business, but I wasn't in retail. And then when I opened this shop in the, at the end of 2018, that first year, 2019, mm-hmm. it was unbelievable how truly de-educated people had become. People who knew me from the old shop were like, Thomas, I haven't seen you in 10 years. Where have you been? You know? And I said, well, I've been working this other job. I'm not really in town very often. I don't sell retail, so I can't sell to you. Um, and then you say, so what are you drinking? What have you been doing? Oh, well, you know, I go to Total Wine, and you know, they, have this, they have this one wine that's okay, and I kind of like it. And, you know? and then I said, well, let me show you some things. And I show them a few things. And then they come back, and they say, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's good, but I don't like it as much as this, and I don't like it as much, much as that and as much as this. And, you know, it's, since it's the same price, I'll just go buy those things. I, I like them a little bit better. And it's like, wait, wait, but at the same price, you're drinking healthier, 
They're drinking unmanipulated. There's no residual polysaccharides or sugars or, you know, possible aldehydes or, or allergens, these things that, you know, are going to knock your histamine right. sideways, make you lose sleep, you know, that 3 a.m. liver panic that your body goes through. Um, and we've actually, we've had customers who knew us for 10 years, come back, mess around in here once or twice, and then never come back. Mm -hmm. And it's because they are following the advice of their app, and they're, and they're following price only, and they want to feel confident. And so they say, you know, I'm confident in what I'm doing. It's like, okay, well, you know, that's good. So I think that like the math's pretty obvious, and it, it, you know, it, it's, you can get something for the same price, and not get a headache, and taste something good, just put a little bit of effort into it. So if you are in the Sarasota area, come visit Sea Grape Wine Company. Uh, what's the address? Uh, we are on the trail across from Demetria, so we're at 4333 South Tamiami Trail. So we're on the east side um, by the King James Big and Tall, which has been here exactly. since 1994. And our real landmark, for those of you who, who have been paying attention, is Giggles. Giggles has been here for, I think, 37 years. Um, and the family owned, the family actually lives on the street here. And uh, yeah, so if you need, uh, if you need anything for your love life, um, and you need some wine, it's a one stop. And if you're not in Sarasota, in general, just visit your local wine merchant, you find know? A wine shop. Yeah, find a wine shop. Find a wine shop, find an independent wine shop. I mean, really, it, there's a larger discussion to be had about this, but my feeling is if you don't support a local butcher, you, don't, you end up with no butcher. If you don't support a local cheese shop, you don't have a cheese shop. If you don't support a dressmaker, a tailor, these things, are, and really, as you know, you've traveled around the world, villages, towns, cities are made up of culture is being produced on the daily by the baker, by the chef, by the, you know, mm -hmm. by the merchants who are selling the good good. And it's not, your town gets hollowed out and you become a commercial town. I mean, no offense if you live up there, but Lakewood Ranch is built on that, just plant the houses, plant the branded establishments, you know, the Publix, the, the ABC liquor, the Total Wine, whatever, the Sam's Club, and then there it is, there's a town. And that's not what a town really is. And I'm sure that their uh, fridges are stocked with Josh wine up in Lakewood Ranch. Well, yeah, man, you gotta get your Josh on. <laughs> you get your Josh on. Yeah. All right, Thomas, thank you so much for uh, being on the show. And yeah, everyone, support your local, your local every. A bottle of white, a bottle of red, Perhaps a bottle of rosé instead Get a table near the street In our old familiar place You and I face to face mm -hmm. A bottle of red A bottle of white it all depends upon your appetite I'll meet you anytime you want In our Italian restaurant